So thank you, praise team. Uh, Children's Church are dismissed, eight, four to six-year-olds to the cafeteria. If you want to head down that way, if you want to stay in the church service, love to have that as well. So Dave, that was a, I wasn't here last week. We were camping, so that was a new experience, singing to, to each other. I'm still, still processing it. Um, I was watching, we were watching up here, and you know, Elliot was like staring Jesse in the face the whole time as he like, like this close to him. And, I, and Stacy pointed that out to me, and I'm like, I'm up here preaching most weeks, and you guys are all looking at me. But please don't look at me. Look at the cross. Look at Christ. Because when we're in heaven, yeah, we're going to be singing, and we're going to be joining voices, but we're going to be doing it to Jesus. And I can't wait for that day. And, and I even thought about you guys like turning around, and I can preach to your backs or towards each other, so you're not looking at me. But, but it's Jesus, right? So let's be... Let's, Let's join our hearts and our minds and everything we have as, as we turn um, to God's Word. So I'm going to be at this, this table again. We've been calling it the writing table during our Galatians series. And I, I hope this table then reminds you that this epistle, the epistle of Galatians, was written to all the churches in southern Galatia, but it was also written for us in the 21st century. There's so much here. And I have hoped that everybody has enjoyed going through this epistle of Galatians as much as I have enjoyed studying it and going more into depth with it. The Word of God is so rich. We never stop learning about God and His truths. And Galatians has shown me that again this summer. But, but a different thing for me as a, as a pastor is when I go through a series like this, um, there's always somebody online or somebody here maybe for the first week. And I'm, I'm looking around. My uncle and aunt are here from, from Holland, so they haven't been part of this series at all. And there's other visitors here on Labor Day as well. And so, so I'm always I'm conscious of that as, as I speak. And you're probably thinking, oh great, we're at the end of a series, and how am I going to track along? What does this look like? First of all, the Holy Spirit's your teacher. And he knows exactly what the words of God that you need in your life today. But let me try to put you at ease I always try to do some sort of summary, especially when we're in a series of, of the previous weeks of what we have done and what we've gone through. So we've been in Galatians for 17 weeks. Pastor Dave and Pastor Ryan did a phenomenal job the last two weeks. And I just want to say thank you for them because we were committed when we started this series that we we're going to do verse by verse, line by line. And at the beginning of the summer, well, actually last winter, I asked them, when do you want to teach out of Galatians? They're like, at the end. <laughs> Both of them were like, at the end. So all summer, I'm kind of going, I hope they go line by line. I hope they go verse by verse. And they did. And they applied the Word of God. And so thank you. You guys did a great, great job. But one of the first things I said as we were doing the introductory um, sermon to this series is that the underpinning, the, the watermark of Galatians is the exodus. Now, I did not flesh that all. I think I made a comment or two, and then I've moved on, and I really haven't come back to that over this series. But today, I'm going to flesh that out. I want you to see how the exodus, the theme of exodus, is all the way through Scripture, and Paul draws that out as he's going through the book of Galatians. We also, as a church, will be going through Exodus starting in January. We spent the last three years in the first part of winter in Genesis. We finished that, so we're going to be going into Exodus as we kind of chronologically go through the Old Testament, the first part of the year. So if you're not, 
if you are familiar with the Exodus, it's, it's, we know it's the second book of the Bible, and we, we know that it describes the Israelites leaving and getting rescued out of slavery from the Egyptians. Now, this Exodus, when they escaped from Egypt, did not go how they had planned. Sure, they, they, they were rescued. But as they moved towards the promised land, things were different. There was complaining. There was doubt. There was God judging them for, for breaking faith and not putting him above all other gods. And then he gave them a dis... said, anybody under 20 is not going to... males are not going to see the promised land. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They were tired. There was giants in the promised land. And as they wandered... The children of Israel were continually looking forward to the day when the promise of Messiah would come and make things right. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That was their heart cry. They were looking for another exodus as well. And they, they were looking for that exodus in the age to come. Go back to the first few weeks of this series. We talked about that a lot. Where God would move and do things in humanity that they were hoping he would do right now. So I want to show you this kind of graph, this chart that, that we have here. I believe this will help us as we finish up Galatians and as we go towards Exodus in January. It's important for us to realize in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 that, that the Galatian churches and everyone, including us that are in Christ, have been delivered from this present evil age, Paul says. Just like the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt. We've been delivered from this world because we have put our faith and trust in Christ. But the children of Israel quickly turned away from God. They started to have doubts. They started to question. And, and they, they, when Moses came down from the mountain, they had these idols, this golden calf that they were worshiping. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, he was astonished, he was shocked that these new believers in Galatian were turning away from God so quickly. He's like, I was just with you. And now I'm getting reports that you're turning to something else. You've been fooled, he says in chapter 1. He says, there's no other gospel. This is the only gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. And then in, and then, and then in, in, in chapter 2, there's a confrontation between Paul and the Judaizers that came from Jerusalem into that church. There's a confrontation with the new believers in Galatia. There's a confrontation with Peter in Antioch about what does it mean to be the people of God? How do you get in? What does it look like when you're in, and what does that look like? So he has this confrontation in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he says that any follower of, of Jesus is a child of Abraham, which was very radical to them because it was a Gentile, predominantly a Gentile area. And he's telling them that if they're in Christ, they are in Abraham because Jesus is Abraham's seed. And he lays that out clearly. That it's not a group of people. It's set apart. It's anybody in Christ because of Jesus. Chapter 4. They're no longer slaves, but sons and daughters who are deeply loved by God. It cries out, Abba, Father, from their spirit. So every one of us that are followers of Christ, that are, are, are in Christ, 
we have a God that loves us deeply, deeply. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. That's life-changing. To know that God of the universe loves us and cares for us. And then chapter 5. He challenged them as the spirit-filled people of God to live it out. To live it out. When Dave picked that week where he talked about the, 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 the spirit and the fruit, I'm like, I wanted to preach that week. Because it's, he goes from this doctrine, like, how do you become people? Like, how are you going to live this out? So he says, you got to live it out. You walk in the spirit as the Israel of God. Because they're a new creation. We find that in chapter 6, and we're going to hit that part today. So, so on top of all of this, in this Exodus thing, we have to remember as we're reading Galatians, that Paul is, is, is saying something very incredible. He's asking the question, who can be the people of God? What does entry like that look like? And he's saying Gentiles can be the people of God too. Anyone who puts their faith in Christ can be the people of God. They, they don't have to wait for the age to come, like the Jews thought, like the Israelites thought. So Gentiles are now coming to Christ in, in like amazing numbers. And Paul's walking with them and leading them. And is creating this complicated swirl in the culture in the first century that they're trying to figure this out. So, so the Jews were okay if Gentiles accepted Christ because they knew that Christ, these Israelites believe in Messianic Jews, that, that Christ was the only way for salvation. But they said, you've got to do more. You've got to be baptized. You gotta, all the adult males have to be circumcised. You have to keep all the laws from the Old Testament. Abide by certain dietary restriction. And Paul hears this and he says, actually, no. Nope. That's not what has to happen. None of these things need to be added to your faith in Jesus for salvation. Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ's finished work alone. And Paul hammers that. That's how you enter the family of God. And that created a, a ruckus in the early church. And Paul leans hard into this all the way through the book of Galatians. We have to get entry right. Now, it's not a, just a big deal theologically and doctrinally. It was also a big deal socially and politically what it meant to be the people of God. Because you see, who was in charge then? The Romans. And they were nasty. And because they were in charge, they expected that everyone would worship Caesar. Emperor worship. Everybody except the Jews. They did. They were exempt from it. So as long as Christianity was under Judaism, which it was for many years at the beginning, Christians were exempt from worshiping Caesar. But when Christianity got kicked out from underneath Judaism, all Christians were forced to pay homage to Caesar. So now the early Christians, they were in conflict with the Roman Empire, they were in conflict with the, the Judaizers and the church in Jerusalem. And Paul's addressing this. So when we read the book of Hebrews, we understand why some of these early Christians wanted to go back under Jerusalem. There'd be less persecution. Life would be easy. 
And Paul writes to them with all this complicated swirl going on. And he says, hey, pay attention. There's no other gospel. And he's telling us that today as well. So, so as, as we bring this last section of Galatians to a close, I want to draw a few more lessons about what it means to be the people of God. And what his final plea is to the believers in Galatia. So stand with me and let's read verses 11 through 18 together out of Galatians chapter 6. And this is out of the, the ESV. So, okay, right? One, two, three. See with what large letters I'm writing to you. With my own. would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, but they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So let's pray. Father, these are your words written by the Apostle Paul through a scribe, what you wanted that first church in Galatia to hear, and you want us to hear today in the 21st century as well. So apply it, Father. Show us what we need to learn this morning. May the words in my mouth, the meditation in my heart be pleasing to you, Father, because you are my rock and you're my redeemer. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Let me take a seat. So that was a long introduction, but I wanted to bring people up to speed. So as Paul sums up his epistle to the Galatian churches, he takes this complicated swirl that I was talking about in, in the introduction, and he, he tries to wrap it up tightly. And he does so, he interjects very, very loudly. And he says, he says these words in, in verse, verse 11. I need the next slide, please. It says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So, so there's a number of things that he's saying here. First, Paul is not a trained scribe. It was not his profession. So anytime anybody would write, they would have a scribe that would write for them. But if they weren't a scribe, they would have to write in a lot more big letters because they weren't trained to be, to be as precise. But most of all, he, he, he is saying, I am commandeering this text because I want you to hear this. This is important. Everything I've said previously in my letter is important, but pay extreme close attention to what I'm doing here as I summarize it all. Right with my own pen, he says, or feather, or whatever he's using. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Paul says, you have to understand something. These people that are telling you that you have to be circumcised to be the people of God are forcing it on you because they want to make a good showing in their flesh. They want to appease the conflict. They want to keep the status quo. They want to put a feather in their hat. Why? 
only in order that they may be not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Nobody, they want a comfortable life. They want to avoid the hard issues that comes with following Jesus. They, they, they want to they look good. Verse 13, for even those who were circumcised do not themselves keep the law. And we talked about this through Galatians. Nobody can keep the law. Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, cannot keep the law. Nobody does it perfectly. That's why we need a Savior, right? Jesus is the only one that did and the only one that can. We don't have to strive and strive and strive. We have the grace of Jesus in our life. For even those who are circumcised and not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They just want to bring all these things back that you have to do. I have to do something in order to prove that I'm religious. To be made right with God. To toot their own horn. And Paul's like, no. Listen to what he says in verse 14. I've been, this verse has been rattling in my head all week. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing else to boast about, Paul says. The only thing that will save somebody is when they understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. Don't boast in anything else, he says. He says, let me tell you why I'm going to boast in that. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So remember back to Galatians 2 verse 20 where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, when you accept Christ, massive change happens in your life. Paul says, I'm going to boast about that, what Christ did. I'm going to boast about Jesus. I'm going to boast about the gospel. I'm not going to boast about the flesh and the things that I've done or that you're doing. And then he goes on to say, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Gentile or Jew, it doesn't matter. Circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. What matters is if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Not just restored, but transformed by Jesus. Paul is passionate about this. And we see in his writings to the Corinthian church where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. But listen to what he says next in verse 16. This is really, really, really important. And as for all of you who walk by this rule, what rule? The new creation. The new creation that you become. For those that walk according to the new creation, for those that have been transformed by Jesus, not those that just give lip service to it, that just prayed some prayer, but their lives are truly transformed by Jesus. As they walk with the Spirit in new life, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, the peace of God, being in a right relationship with God. That's the only way there can be peace. We try and we try and we try for peace in other ways. It only comes with a right relationship with Christ. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God be upon them. 
Is there anything in your life that is more important than being in a relationship with Christ? Is there anything that's competing with that in your life? May I suggest this morning, there is nothing. Your relationship with Christ has to be first and foremost in your life. And then he says, upon the Israel of God. Don't miss this. This is what Paul has been building towards. First, that walk by the rule, the new creation, they are the true Israel of, of God. The Israel of God are those that walk by this new, new world. Those are the ones experiencing peace and mercy. Not the Judaizers who came into that church with a performance-based gospel saying you've got to do this and this and this. Legalism will never lead to freedom in Christ. Never which ties this whole literary thing together. Those who are in Christ are in Abraham. And those who are in Abraham are heirs according to the promise. And we're filled with the Spirit of God, and we are transformed into a new creation. Does, that, does Jesus still change lives? Somebody put on Facebook recently that question. Can people really change? Yes, complete change can only happen in Christ. You're in bondage, turn to Jesus. You have no peace, turn to Jesus. You have burdens that are too heavy to carry, turn to Jesus. Not just mentally agreeing to it. Not just these gymnastics showing up in church on Sunday, but passionately following Jesus with your whole life. Jesus wants to change your life because you are a new creation if you're in Christ. Amen? And then we hear this powerful statement in verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. Paul's like, I'm done with these Judaizers. They keep going on and on, and you, church, keep listening. What's wrong with you? I'm done with them. I don't want to hear about the marks of circumcision or the works of the flesh anymore. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's like, look, I'm following hard after Jesus. I've just gotten stoned a few weeks or months ago. Look at them. I've been beat. I've followed hard after Jesus with everything that I have. These marks didn't come through what I've done. They've done because I'm following Christ. And he's fed up with these Galatian people. But he loved them. And then he ends with this benediction, and it's phenomenal. And I heard that we ended the service with it last week, and we will again this week. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This verse is a benediction. It's a prayer of, of God's grace to be with the Galatians. He, he calls them brothers. It's evident that even though he was being so hard on them, he loved them, that he cared for them, that they meant a lot to him. But he left them with one more reminder of God's grace through the faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be justified. It's the truth this truth that Paul is hammering in Galatians, that all of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ, have put our faith in Christ, are part of the family of God. There's, there's no other way. And Paul passionately wanted the Galatian church and us 
in the 21st century to understand what the gospel was all about. So I quickly threw those ver- threw, flew through those verses today. A lot of it is a reminder of what, where we've been. But I want to wrap up with three application points, and this is going to take a little bit longer than normal. So what I do is I prepare a sermon as I immerse myself in the text. I will read it over and over and over again, and then I'll chew on it, and, and then I'll read it again. I'll listen to sermons from other pastors. I will read commentaries. I'll read comments about it. I ask the Holy Spirit to teach me and to show me each and every week. I know many of you pray that God, that work is done in my life as well, and I say thank you. But the thing I kept thinking about, about these Judaizers from the church in Jerusalem, they came into the Galatian church, who were new believers, and they were trying to force circumcision, trying to force flesh patterns on them. Just, just so that their status quo just so that there's no conflict, just so that they can do something themselves like they've always done in the past. And everything will be fine if we do it this way. And as far as I know, there's no churches that are forcing circumcision in the 21st century. Good thing. But I ask myself a question. What are some things that we force on people that are unnecessary to be the people of God? I could have come up with a long list. And not just saying we, but as a church as a whole. I'm going to step on some toes here a little bit. I hope you don't mind. Everybody say, ouch, right now. Okay. Get it out. I'm not trying to be snarky, but I want us to think about this because this is important. Paul was very concerned that people being forced to do things that was not salvific at all. So I picked a few things. First one, end times. I've been around Christianity for quite a while. Some of you remember in 1988, there was this guy by the name of Edgar Wisenat. Anybody remember him? Handful of people. He was a former NASA engineer, a Bible student who predicted that the rapture would occur in 1988. Sometime between September 11 and September 13. So we're coming up on the anniversary of that. His reasoning was that Israel was established as a nation again in 1948. And that a generation is 40 years. So in 1988 would have been 40 years from when Israel was established as a nation. He published two books. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Happened in 88. And On Borrowed Time. Eventually 300,000 copies of 88 Reasons were mailed to over 300,000 pastors in America. And 4.5 million copies were sold in bookstores and elsewhere. Wisenot was quoted. He was this bold. Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. People bought his garbage hook, line, and sinker. It didn't happen. We're in 2023. He then came out with a new book in 1989. 89 reasons why the rapture happened in 1989. It did not become a bestseller. But then there was the Gulf War. This is it. This is what Ezekiel's been talking about. It's time. And that's really bad exegesis. 
Then there was, uh, then, then there was Y2K. I'm not going to ask how many people bought extra food to put in their basement. And then during COVID, we heard much of the same thing. This is it. Jesus is coming. And we long for that day, don't we? But let me, as your pastor, tell you a couple things about the end times. Jesus will one day return, literally and physically return to the earth. Nobody, absolute no one knows when that hour or moment will be. Every generation of Christianity, and the older I get, I hear it more and more and more from the older congregation, congregants. We long for that, don't we? But every generation of Christianity has been wrong. So don't get all wound up about a date or a time. When we do, we push people away. The second thing to know about end times is that every one of us will stand before him and give him account, uh, give an account. This is going to happen if you are a believer in Jesus or, Jesus, or if you're not a believer in Jesus. You're still going to stand before him. Jesus is like, just live your life like I told you to live your life in this book. Do what I tell you to do, and when I come back, things will be great. He didn't say, go hunker down in a cave or, or stay confined to your local ch- just right here in the church building. He didn't say, go to Colorado and buy a missile silo. He said, go out and preach the gospel to all the nations. Let him know I'm going to come back someday. End times. Sometimes we put that on people. Second thing, how about politics? Many Christians have done a miserable job here. Putting things on people that don't need to be put on them. Making posts that are so divisive. How about secondary doctrinal issues? I'm not going to get specific here, but just think of all the things that Christians fight about that are not salvific. Many of these issues are important to discuss as a church, but don't put them on non-believers. Be clear what the gospel is and how entry to the gospel happens. So one thing I did recently, so I'm going to go on a little rabbit trail here. I went online and I typed the question, what are the reasons why people are leaving the church? You don't have to agree with all this. These are just some of the reasons that I kind of resonated with. The church, number one, the church is trying to attract people instead of equipping them. We are not Disney World. When we tell people you're a sinner and you need a savior and you need to repent, they're not like, yay! We can't water that message down. It's not really what's going to attract people, though. But the Holy Spirit will be working in their life. The reason people are leaving is because they are not equipped to deal with the onslaught of the garbage that is coming at them. Right? I want you to know That's why we do what we do at FBC. When I read Ephesians, and it says, God gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you are in Christ, he calls you a saint. You still battle with the flesh, and that's why we have the Spirit. This is why we preach and teach the Word of God at FBC. We're not here to attract people, but to equip Christians to share their faith so they can be the people that God has called them to be. To equip Christians to live out their life, 
and their faith in a way that makes them stand out as salt and light. We're different. God's called us to be different. We don't do what the world does when it comes to many aspects of life. We shine for Christ, but we got to be equipped. The darker this world gets, the more we need information and tools in our toolbox to be able to live wisely and to talk to people about the gospel, right? If I had my way, I would like to keep FBC small. When the elders asked me about becoming the senior pastor, they said, what do you, I said, no. And they said, well, where do you envision yourself? As a youth pastor the rest of my life. And then they said, and then I was getting old. I hit the 50 mark and then, you know. So then I said, okay, if God ever called me to be a senior pastor, it would be a small little country church so I could know the people and equip them. And they're like, what do you think FBC is? It's a country church. It's not very large. But God has been bringing people. People are hungry for the truth. People are hungry to hear the gospel preached and see it lived out in the community, in small groups, and, and trauma, trauma meetings and groups, and healing of the heart. And they, they, They're hungry for that. So whoever God brings to FBC, we will do our best to equip them with our whole heart. Even if that means going to multiple services. That means many of you will need to get off the pew, the chair now, and get involved. Not just to say you can put a feather in your hat and say, hey, look what I'm doing. But that you're equipping people. Being equipped yourself and then equipping people to be salt and light. To be able to share the gospel. All right. What about this? Christians on social media was another one they mentioned. I will talk about social media and some of you will go out there and you will post about how what a jerk this person is. Or your, your snap is selfie. Ha! Church is out! Freedom! Social media is running people out of the church. You should talk about scripture. You should put pictures on social media about your family. Show where you went on vacation. Those type of things. But lay off the other stuff. How about this one? Listen to this one closely. Making the Bible the basis of our faith. What's the basis of our faith? Jesus. The gospel. And what is happening is we're raising our kids and we're telling them this is the way to interpret the scriptures. And we're, and we're telling them like a robot. And if you, if you don't interpret it this way, then the rest of the people are wrong. And there's definitely, there's ways to interpret and there's ways to study and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But then they go to school and they get challenged. And they start to think, what if I believed is not exactly right? They don't know how to reason. And guess what they do, many of them? They abandon the faith. Or their faith is weak. They, they, they begin to walk away and drift. Our faith needs to be anchored in Jesus Christ. In the resurrection of Jesus. There would not have and have been a New Testament written if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. That changed everything. Jesus said it himself in, in John chapter 5. Can you have the next slide, please? He said, you search the scriptures because you think that I am in them. You have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
big, big difference. It's huge. One reason why we're switching to the Gospel Project curriculum next week. We want every lesson to be anchored in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Every lesson to point our young people and our adults to Jesus. When Jesus got up from the grave, game was over. Things changed. Number four, a bad church experience. That's why it's so important that we meet people, we greet people, we love people, we keep the gospel centered in all we do. That's why we strive for reconciliation with family and church family. That's why we have hard conversations, why we walk humbly and we say, I'm sorry. That's why we love on people, but we stand on truth. We stand on the gospel. This one right here, when I talk to people and I say I'm the pastor at FBC, I get really good comments, but then I'll have other people that will say, I'll never walk back in that church again. There's a history. When you're a church that's 160-some years old, you're going to have history in a community, right? But we need to be aware of that. And we need to love people and have conversations. We need to show them the love of Christ. And number five, Putting politics or ideology above or on the same level as Jesus. I say this because whether you like it or not, next year's an election year. And it's going to go crazy. Carrie Newhoff says this. People don't show up to church looking for my political views or ideology, ideological bent. They are looking for God. That might frustrate some of you. I don't speak on other things beside the gospel. And I mean, we do, but some people have an agenda. I want, to, I want you to hear this. I was, I, was, I was thinking about this, and I watched an interview by Andy Stanley. I don't know the pastor that he was interviewing, but it resonated with me the answer to the question that this pastor had. So here's the question. What at this point makes you, maybe the one thing, one of the things right now that makes you pound the table and weep, that breaks your heart over the church culture, whatever it may be? Listen to his response. I'm going to read it. What a lost world sees about us. That's what's missing. Sometimes Christians have forgotten the audience. We are beating our, up unbelievers. We're putting things on unbelievers. We are blaming a blind man for stepping on our foot. And what breaks my heart is our self-righteous mess is causing a stumbling block and lost people are staying lost. There needs to be a revival of humility and brokenness among us. Because of our self-righteous posturing actually is serving as a barrier to getting people to Jesus. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. And it's almost like we would rather be right than to humble ourselves and be the gateway to getting people to Jesus. That breaks my heart. And I watched that and I said, wow. We want to be a church that shines brightly, that reaches the unreached. Being intentional, intentional with our unbelieving neighbors to reflect Christ. And we don't want to be putting things on them. Unbelievers are putting enough on themselves already. We need to preach Jesus. And Jesus crucified. And Jesus resurrected. Share the gospel of Jesus. That leads to the second point. These last two are going to go way quicker. 
the centrality of the gospel. Hear what Paul says in verse 14 again. This time of the NLT. As for me, may I never boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then think back to the first chapter. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. If there's anything we should know from studying this gospel, this epistle of Galatians, is the centrality of the gospel. Everything rises and falls on Jesus getting up from the grave. To be part of the family of God means we have turned to Jesus to forgive our sins and believe that he rose again on the third day. Adding anything to that, anything to the gospel is subtraction. We have to hear this because we're in such a polarized world. We've got to stand firm on the gospel. My heart is gripped with three things as your pastor. Three things that I pound the table for. That the gospel is central to everything that we do. Amen? Two, that God's saints are equipped to live the gospel in step with the Spirit and are doing so being able to give a defense for what we believe. Amen? And number three, that we need to reach the lost. Are you reaching the lost? Are you building relationships with your neighbors? And I believe if we did those three things with all my heart, that we'd see the gospel of God, the kingdom of God, advance in incredible ways here in Oceana County. And then the third point. Take hold of what it really means to be a new creation. So one of my passions. Paul's passion. This whole thing was laid out as Paul summed it up in verses 14 and 15. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. My interest in this world has been crucified. Can you say that? Can you say that about your life? That the gospel is so central that the rest of the things of the world can't compare. Yeah, we can still have hobbies. We can still have great things. But my interest in this world has been crucified. It does not matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. It's all about that. He's laid it out for us. Is what Christ has done, who we are in Christ. We are, we are forgiven, we're delivered from this present evil age, we're redeemed, we're in Christ, in Abraham, a blessed people, and we're filled with the Spirit of God. That doesn't deserve a round of applause. I don't know what does. But in order to walk with the Spirit of God, we have to choose to die to ourselves every day. We have to get up in the morning and say, God, my flesh roars up inside of me, but I want to live for you. I've shared my, what I do first thing in the morning often. God, I can't. God, you can. God, I'm going to let you. Every morning before my feet hit the floor, because I know what's inside of me. Even though I'm a new creation and God's transforming me, we need to be the same if we are to be spirit-led people. All right, so I'm going to go back to the Exodus. As we close. In Exodus chapter 15 verse 1. 
This is the song that the people sang as they were redeemed and led out of captivity. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. All oppression, all fear, all anxiety, all the bondage that they experienced, God delivered them from that. He drowned the horse and the rider in the sea. And because we're in Christ, he's done the same thing in our lives. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, whether you choose to live out it or not, you are a new creation, and he has triumphed gloriously. But then look at verse 7, look at the next verse, what it says. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you hands have established. If we can grasp what God has done through us, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's planting us. He's growing us. He's bringing people in. And we can celebrate with what like the Israelites did as they left exile. It'll change how we live our life and how we do church. And then read with me verse 18. The Lord reign forever and ever. This is how I want to end this series. The series was called Fully Formed. Is God working in your heart and life? Is he forming you into the likeness of Christ? Are you hanging on to things in the past, bondage and, and other things? Or are you being formally formed? Because the Lord will reign forever and ever. He's in this place. And he's in every one of the believers. So to end, I want to sing this, we're going to sing this song. We've sung it quite a few times. And it has taken huge significance in my life. Sometimes I wonder if we really listen. If we really believe the words that we sing. We all kind of got things going in our life and in our minds. We got families and health issues and kids and, 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 and everything else. And it kind of just bogs us down at times. But I want us to remember as we sing this song that there's only one gospel. And that's where our hope is found. Amen?